This is Church of the Resurrection in Whedon, Illinois. This week's sermon is by Archdeacon Wong Tok Meng and is part one of Seeing the World with Jesus' Eyes. Good morning. It's a great joy for me to be here with you guys worshiping the Lord this morning. I bring you greetings uh, on behalf of the Diocese of Singapore. Our diocesan bishop, Bishop Renis Panaya, uh, has given me his blessings to be with you during this season, to learn from you, to be refreshed in the Lord. And I had a great uh, privilege to be at the Revive Conference yesterday and just to witness the, the ordination of two deacons brought me back to my ordination 18 years ago. And I, I, gave, I had the opportunity to renew my own uh, ordination vows before the Lord. And that is something just so precious and so wonderful. I also bring you greetings from uh, Reverend Tit Hyung, our Cambodian clergy in Phnom Penh, together with our missionary team and our pastoral team in all the different rural vill- villages where we have Anglican churches in Cambodia. They are so joyful to be in partnership with the Anglican Church in North America because you have been such a great blessing to, to them. Because not only do you bring the Word, but you bring a certain way of living the Word, a certain way of worshipping the Lord that is not only consonant with Scriptures, but which lives up our spirit to have that divine encounter, that spiritual encounter with the Lord every time that we worship the Lord together. And I bring you their greetings, and I'm so joyful that I'm able to be here. I, I am very grateful for the partnership that the Lord has given us. You know, uh, each of us has been given a certain area of responsibility in the Lord, and uh, we are called to be very focused in it. But when we join hands with each other, and we say, brother, let me help you in your responsibility, and we have the humility to say, I receive your help for my responsibilities. I think there's something very beautiful that takes place. So it's not just my work and not just showing what I can do, but it becomes our work. And these these days of being here in Chicago and uh, being in partnership over these few years, I get the sense that uh, Cambodia, the the work in Cambodia, doesn't belong to the Diocese of Singapore. It belongs to the Lord. And it is shared and is contributed to, it is uh, participated in by all of God's people. And that is something which uh, I greatly rejoice in. And I want to particularly thank you for for your gifts of stewardship, uh, that has helped us to really uh, move forward in our uh, fundraising program to be able to rebuild the church in Phnom Penh. I bring you great news. We have uh, uh, demolished the old building uh, in faith that the building permit will be obtained by middle of November. And our contractor tells us that that is going to happen. So we are excited and we are just uh, getting ready. And we believe that by the year 2018, the new building that we have all prayed for, we have all given towards, will be completed. And there will be a great year to dedicate the Church of Christ our peace in Phnom Penh because that will be the 25th anniversary of the Anglican Church of Cambodia. Praise God. And what a great time. It will be a time to just say, Lord, this is your doing. We are your people. And we dedicate it all back to you. This morning, I, I want to bring you the Word of God. Uh, and uh, I, I want to uh, give you an alternative title to my sermon. It is still very much about Jesus being the Savior of the nations, but I want to angle it a little bit differently so that I can include you in, in, in what the Lord is doing. 
And the alternative title that the Lord has given me for this sermon is, What are you doing here? <laughs> what are you doing here? Now, can you turn to the person next to you and ask the person, What are you doing here? <laughs> can you do that? What are you doing here? What, are you doing? what am I doing here? <laughs> what are you doing here? <laughs> the Lord laid that question upon my heart to be, the alternative title for this sermon, it doesn't come out of the blue, it comes out of Scripture. I came across this question when I was reading 1 Kings chapter 19. And you know that's the story of, Ezekiel, of uh, Elijah fleeing for his life. The background to that is that Elijah had been sent as a prophet to the people of Israel in the northern kingdom. They had fallen into idolatry that uh, was doing all the things that God said they were not to do, and they had fallen so far away from God, they were sacrificing children, babies, for the, the, uh, uh, as a sacrifice for their economic advancement. And there was something deeply abominable to the Lord. But Elijah's preaching had fallen on deaf ears, and Elijah had come to the point where he says, I'm going to give it one last try. I'm going to challenge all the prophets of Baal to a contest. They will pray to their God, I will pray to Yahweh, and whoever consumes the sacrifice, that is the one who is the true God, and that is the one we should all worship. And that happened at Mount Carmel, and the rest of the story is history. It's a tremendous victory for the name of the Lord, because the, the sacrifice of the prophets of Baal was left untouched. Baal had no ability to consume the sacrifice, but the sacrifice that, that Elijah made to, to the Lord, although it was drenched with water many times over, it was consumed by the Lord. And the Lord showed up in an amazing way. If you were Elijah, you would think, wow, this is it, this is the breakthrough, this is the revival, it has happened, it's, it's, everything is going to change for the better. But the reality was not so. The hearts of the people still remained far away from God. And the king was unmoved, and the queen took out an assassination contract on the life of Elijah. And that's why Elijah had to flee, and that's why he had to run for his life. But you know, even when we are pushed to a point where we are afraid for our future, when we are afraid for our very security and our very existence, we are not alone. Because even as Elijah was fleeing from Queen Jezebel, the Lord was with him. The Lord granted him rest. The Lord sent angels to give him food and water. And the Lord gave him a supernatural strength to run from Mount Carmel all the way to Beersheba in the southern part of Israel. And not even to stop there, but to run 40 days into the Arabian, into the Sinai Peninsula to the very place where the people of Israel first met God and received the Ten Commandments, where Moses went up the mountain to meet God at Mount Horeb. That was where Elijah ended up. And he heard God calling out to him. And he heard God speaking to him in a still, small voice. And twice, the Lord asked Elijah this question, what are you doing here? And that is the question I believe that God wants us to hear from Him because the answer to that question will determine the shape of the future of your own life, of your own family, of your own church, 
the future of the church depends on how we answer that question. So I'm, I'm going to unpack that a little bit with you. What are you doing here? What is God doing when God is asking that question? He is not asking for information. It's not because he doesn't know what Elijah was doing. He was the one that led Elijah there. He's not asking for, for information. God knows all things. He's not asking for inputs or suggestions. Um, Elijah, what do you think we should be doing? <laughs> God knows what he's doing. But does Elijah know what he's doing? That's the main point. God was neither asking for information nor for input, but God was asking for involvement. Are you with me? Are you still on my side? Are you still my prophet? Are you still holding up the light? Are you still speaking on my behalf? Are you listening to where the world is, where the culture is? And are you allowing that to shape your understanding of where you are and what you are doing? Or are you allowing my voice, my word, my vision to be the, the answer to this question, what are you doing here? So let's unpack that. The first word is what. We try to answer the, the question what. If we begin with ourselves, we'll be lost. If we begin by looking around us in the culture, we'll be discouraged. We'll be in total despair. You know, every time I open the newspapers, I get drawn into this deep and dark abyss of where the world is, of where our culture is, of where uh, our idols have taken us. And sometimes when you, you listen to that dark voice, there seems to be no hope. But God has challenged me not to even open the newspapers without first praying, not only praying for my, the protection of my own soul, but also to pray that I will be able to see what God is doing, to be able to believe that in the midst of that darkness, God has not given up. Elijah may feel that he is done with his mission, but God is not done. That's why he asked him, what are you doing here? Because God is not finished with it. God has more to do. And what is going to come later is even more glorious than what has come before. And I believe that is the challenge that God is giving to us. And that is how Jesus operated his ministry. He told the Pharisees, the son does only what he sees the father doing. Even the second person of the Trinity didn't go about doing his own thing. He was not just reacting to culture. He was following a program. And that program was conceived in the heart of the father and it is embraced and shared in the, in the shared life and love of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And, and they are each so together in it. They are so infused and enthused by it that He will not let anything else determine His agenda or His reaction except what the Father is doing. And that's exactly what led Jesus in the reading in Luke chapter 19. Amidst all the crowds and all the, all the people that he had to meet, all the things he had to do, passing through Jericho. That is what caused Jesus to look up in that sycamore tree and see this short little man, maybe a little bit like me, maybe a little bit taller perhaps. I think I'm shorter than Zacchaeus, you know, in a sycamore tree. You know, I, I've seen a sycamore tree in, in uh, Israel. It's not also a very tall tree <laughs> itself. A sycamore tree is not very tall. But that didn't stop Jesus from seeing what seems to be so insignificant. And when he saw Zacchaeus, he called him down because that was the whole point of his ministry. 
The cross is not some kind of political statement. The cross is not some action of mania on the part of someone with a messianic complex. The cross is not even some kind of grand gesture to rally the crowds to revolt against the Romans. No, the cross was something that no one could humanly understand. Not even the forces of darkness could understand the cross. Satan thought that he has, he has won at last, but the cross was right at the centre of the Father's agenda. But it was not even the doing, but it was the, the, the person for whom Jesus was going to the cross. Jesus was not going to the cross for the, fa- for the sake of a nameless, faceless humanity. Jesus was going to the cross for the sake of every single Zacchaeus, every single Zacchaeus who felt unworthy of God, who felt alienated, rejected by society, who felt that there was no hope for him. He had all that the world could offer him, but something was still missing in his life. It was so, that pain, that loneliness was so deep in Zacchaeus, he was prepared to do the most undignified thing as to climb a a sycamore tree. And Jesus came for those like Zacchaeus. That is what the Father is doing. That is what the Son is doing. The world may say, the, the world may mock Christianity. The reaction that we get from the world may, may seem that we have lost ground and lost influence. It may appear as if we are done. But I tell you, brothers and sisters, God is not done. Amen? God is not done. And the question is, are we on the same page as Him? If we are, then we are not done either. And we do not have to feel dejected. We do not have to go into despair like Elijah and say, Oh Lord, uh, they have all turned away. There's no one else left. I'm the only one left. So let's get this over with. Kill me. <laughs> I have, I, I, take me. And, and then you do whatever you want. I'm done. But God is not done. And that's why you and I are worshipping Him today. The King of kings and the Lord of lords. I want to tell you a story about how it appears to the whole world that darkness has taken over a land and even the church. In uh, the early 1950s, the Communist Party in China uh, succeeded in the revolution to take over the whole country. And the first things that happened was that all foreign missionaries were expelled from the land of China. Suddenly, the church in China found itself all alone, faced against this uh, gigantic and dark force of communism. And the next few decades in the church of China brought about great suffering, great pain, great testing. But in the midst of that testing, in the midst of the struggles, the suffering, the imprisonments, even the deaths, God has never once forsaken His people. What happened in China during those years of the Cultural Revolution was a pruning, was a removal from all earthly dependencies so that the only thing that the church in China and every Christian who believed in the Lord Jesus Christ could depend on is God Himself. And in that faith that was being purified through suffering, the gospel continued to be lived out. and The gospel continued to be preached, albeit in harsh tones, albeit in uh, quiet places, in a very low-profile manner. But let us not confuse small things with insignificant things. Let us not confuse quiet happenings with nothing happening. 
Often, the things that God does, uh, God is not interested in what the media thinks of it, how the media covers it, because God is going to outlive media. <laughs> media will pass away, but the Lord will remain. And we need to have the ears to hear, Lord, what are you saying? What are you doing? Even though the media tells us that there's no more hope. And I tell you today, brothers and sisters, the church in China is the fastest growing church in the whole world. Not only the underground church, but even the open church, the official church. And I believe that God is bringing about a day when the two sides of His house will be reconciled, where there will be forgiveness, where trust will be restored. Because that trust, that forgiveness is not found in each other, but it is found in the Lord who has kept them together, who have kept them alive and sustained their spirit during those dark days. So I, 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 I see a glimpse of what the Father is doing. I want to share with you another story. What is the Father doing? Cambodia in 1975 f fell into four years of deep darkness. A communist uh, 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 party known as the, the Khmer Rouge uh, overthrew the government and uh, reverted the whole country back into an agricultural economy. And through a combination of assassinations, uh, extrajudicial killings, starvation, and, and a lot of other abominations, uh, close to two million people lost their lives. Cambodians killing Cambodians over a period of four years, from 75 to 79. And even though uh, the Khmer Rouge was toppled in 1979 uh, by the Vietnamese army that came in to, to rescue Cambodia, uh, peace was not restored. The country continued to be in civil war for the, for the next 15 years or so. And there seemed to be no hope. In Southeast Asia, as uh, all kinds of diplomatic uh, avenues were exhausted, and still the killing was continuing, still the, the country was, was sinking under the violence and uh, the starvation and the humanitarian disaster. And yet, God was doing something. God was preparing a mission force. God was preparing a day of healing for Cambodia. And in 1992, uh, by a, a stroke, I believe, of God's providence, the warring parties managed to come together in Paris and struck a peace accord to end hostilities and to come under the supervision of the United Nations to have uh, democratic elections in their country for the first time in 20 years. As that was happening, our sense in the Diocese of Singapore is that salvation does not come from the United Nations. Salvation does not come from any peace accord or from any accord among men because that does not last. But we see in what the Lord was doing in bringing about that, that uh, cessation of hostility and opportunity for the gospel. Because as a result of 20 years of violence and civil war, Virtually every Cambodian pastor, virtually every Christian that had known Jesus before 1975 had either fled or died. The church in Cambodia was empty. But it was a time for a new planting because God is not done. Our Father who sent His Son to seek and save the lost is still in that same business. And it, the Lord moved the Diocese of Singapore to send the first Anglican missionary into Cambodia to begin to gather people in worship. 
whether it is UN workers, whether it's business people from, from uh, the West, whether it's people who have returned uh, from overseas who are Cambodians. And, and we begin to preach the gospel not only to the international people, but to Cambodians. And they were so hungry for the gospel. They said, please come and preach the same message that you have preached in the city. Please come and preach in our village. And the Lord, by His Spirit, just led us from one village to another. Today, in the Anglican Church of Cambodia, uh, 23 years down the road, we have close to 15 congregations, most of them in the countryside, most of them having no witness of the gospel ever. And the Lord is doing something. He is still in the business of seeking and saving the lost. That is the first word in that question, what? We see what the Father is doing. And He is inviting us to come and do it together with Him. Come and, and share with me. Come and carry my love for me into these places that are unloved. But the second word is often where the challenge is because the second word is you. What are you doing here? We may say this is well and good. This is what God is doing. This is what He's calling everyone to do. But what's that got to do with me? You know, I, I learned a new word uh, the last couple of days. I learned the word voluntold. <laughs> you know, volunteer. And, and now I learned voluntold. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, in Singapore, we say, uh, you know, here I am, Lord, send my brother. <laughs> here I am, Lord, send my sister. <laughs> there is volunteering, right? <laughs> but God is not calling us to send somebody else. God is speaking directly to each and every one of us. Why do I say that? It's not because I am more qualified than you or you are more qualified than her, but because God has this amazing way of using people. He doesn't need to use people. He could use angels. Angels by far have a much better track record in following and being obedient to God than people. You know, <laughs> God put two people on earth and when they come under temptation, both of them fell. Two out of two. That's a failure of 100%. That's pretty <laughs> abysmal, don't you think? <laughs> Even the angels did better than that. You know, when Satan led the rebellion, one third of the angels fell. But God still has two thirds of the angels on his side. Now that's pretty good much better than humanity. <laughs> but for some reason, God chooses to use humanity that I will never, for the life of me, understand. The only way I can make sense of it is God loves us. And He, he wants us, His children whom He loves, not only to receive that love, but to be wrapped up in that love. And that love is not a static love. It's not a love that is kind of uh, depicted in marble, kind of, you know, beautiful, but doesn't do anything, doesn't go anywhere. It is a flowing love. And as He wraps us into that love, that love continues to flow. And where does it flow? It does not only flow within, it flows beyond. And if we have experienced the beauty of that love that draws us in, He wants us to experience the power of that love as it sends us out by His own Word, with His love, by the power of the Holy Spirit. Again, what has that got to do with me? I'm so small. I'm nothing. I don't have a voice. I don't have anything I need. But you know something? That is the lie of the evil one. Because each and every one of us has been called and chosen by God to be in a certain place, to know a certain group of people, to have a certain set of gifts, both natural talents and spiritual giftings that no one else has. Each one of us is in a unique position to bring His love to others in a manner that no one else can. 
I want to share with you the, the story of uh, uh, our Cambodian clergy, Reverend Tit Hiang. He, he used to be the, the bodyguard of a senior government uh, minister, a politician. And uh, he, uh, as, as the early days of the Anglican mission in Cambodia started, he heard that uh, these foreigners and these Cambodians are talking about this Jesus. And he had no idea what that was all about. And he was concerned that might be a threat to his boss, politically or whatever. So he took it upon himself to come and spy upon the church. <laughs> he wanted to know what are these Christians doing? What are they all about? Do I have to be wary of them? But you know, as he came in, he came in with his baggage. He saw the atrocities of the Khmer Rouge. He understood what it meant to be starving. He knows what it means to see people kill one another. And he grew up as a teenager seeing, uh, seeing dead people on the streets the way that we may see homeless people today. But his, he, his was much more traumatic because what he has seen were lifeless and decomposing human bodies. And he came from the background of that trauma. But in the midst of it, as he did his job to try to spy on the church, he experienced God touching him. And he experienced God calling him to put his faith in this God who is able to heal not only sicknesses, but heal nations, who is able to bring hope. The church is called Church of Christ, our peace. His entire life he has known no peace. But he, he witnessed and he, he, has, he was given the gift of faith to believe that this is the only person who can bring peace, not only to the nation, but, to the pe but, the, but peace to his troubled soul that has seen the kind of horror that he has seen. So he not only put his life in the hands of Jesus, but he has such a hunger for the gospel that the missionary, Reverend Don Cormack, sent him to Bible school. And uh, having graduated from Bible school, he, he had this uh, uh, passion within him that I need to preach this same gospel to my people. And today, he is one of our best evangelists. And I had the, the privilege to see him share his testimony to an American audience about what drives his passion for the gospel. You know what drives his passion for the gospel? He does not ever want to see the same horror happen to his people ever again. Who can say that except someone who has lived through those horrors? Someone who has been, been touched and have been wounded, have been scarred by those horrors. But he brings his brokenness to the Lord. I say, Lord, what I have been through, the brokenness I have experienced, the horrors I've seen, I'm going to turn it from something I'm ashamed of, I want to run away from. I'm going to turn it into an impetus for the gospel. Only he can say that because he had been touched by that experience. What experience have you been touched or scarred by? What gifts has the Lord given you? That is what that word you means. There's a reason why it's there. Because only you can be used by God in the way that He wants to use you to a group of people at a certain time in a certain way that no one else can. What are you doing here? And the third word is doing. Uh, doing is a choice. Doing nothing is a choice. Doing something negative is also a choice. We can choose to complain. We can choose to be cynical. We can choose to, to just criticize and judge. That is a choice. Or we can choose to say, Lord, here I am. 
send me. Take my eyes. Help me to notice who are the Zacchaeuses that you want me to call out to. Who are the, the homes of those who are rejected and alienized that you want me to fellowship with? What are the projects? What are the things that you need done that, you want, that, that I am in a unique position to do? That is always a choice. And it begins with us embracing what God is doing and embracing that for ourselves. You know, for the past couple of years, the, the Lord has, has begun to show us in the Anglican Church of Cambodia the potential of the young people. Many young people from the rural villages are coming to study or to work in Phnom Penh. And they have nowhere to live. And uh, they have no money to, to rent uh, apartments with. And they are often exposed because coming from a very simple village lifestyle, they may be naive about a lot of things that happen in big cities, as you know. And the Lord has laid it upon our heart to start a dormitory ministry, a safe house, a place where they will be respected and loved and cared for, a place in which the name of Jesus is lifted up, a place in which love, the love of God, will flow out in action. And by God's grace, I, I believe as I'm talking to Father Gregory and uh, Father Jesse uh, and our Cambodian counterparts, that that ministry will begin to take off in 2017. It's something extremely simple. It's just living life together. It's just being there with each other. But that is a choice, a choice to do something that God can use through that process to touch lives. And I thank God that He is already doing so. Because in one of our rural uh, uh, Anglican churches, uh, we have started a ministry to give vocational training to kids who are 18 years old, uh, 19 years old, who have uh, no career opportunities except to be small holding farmers for the rest of their lives. Not, not a very exciting career option. And through this process of learning how to uh, provide hospitality, learning how to make beds, learning how to man a hotel front desk, uh, but all conducted in the love of the gospel. We are seeing 50, 60 Cambodian young people give their life to Jesus Christ every year. And the lady who does this training, a, a Singaporean lady by the name of Susan, she's like a mother to all these young people. And you know what's the best part? That her decision to uh, go to Cambodia and provide this training may have happened only about 10 years ago, but God has started preparing her for that even decades before that because she was a senior, uh, senior flight stewardess with Singapore Airlines. She was trained in the craft and the, the arts of hospitality by our national carrier. <laughs> and she took all that training, all those gifts, and now she's saying, God has given me that training for a purpose. And, and I'm in a unique position. I'm going to make a decision to use that, not for my career advancement, but I'm going to use that for the gospel. And she's imparting this love for hospitality. And the love for hospitality is the love of God. And we are seeing these Cambodian young people turn to Christ. What are you doing? But the last two words matters even more. But because the last two words says, what are you doing here? Now, where you are, in this season in your life, in this season in the life of your nation, as Bishop Stewart alluded to uh, at the introduction of my sermon, uh, I believe America, I believe America is great. 
I believe, God, I believe that greatness comes from God. But I believe that this is a time that God is calling the church. God is asking the church, who is the Savior? Who is your Savior? Who is your Messiah? In whom do you trust? And God is posing us that question in a very uh, unique way, very poignant way. Because it is only when we realize that there is not much that is earthly, that is human, that is institutional, that we can trust, that we begin to seriously ask that question, in whom do we really trust? And I believe that the church in America is at a unique moment to answer that question. If we answer that correctly, and we say, God, you alone are the Savior, not only of the nations, but of our nation. You have come to seek and to save not only those who are lost in Africa and Cambodia and China and everywhere. You, you have come to seek and save the lost in our own nation, and you are the only one who can. That gives you an understanding of what here and now means. This is not the time to be discouraged. This is not the time to abandon ship because God is far from done. God is only beginning. And God is calling His church, what are you doing here? I want to invite you to bow with me for a moment of prayer. Elijah had the Mount Horeb encounter with God. The Mount Carmel encounter was glorious and victorious and, and dramatic. But the Mount Horeb encounter is what sets the path for the future of Elijah. I want to invite you into a Mount Horeb encounter with God. As we quieten our hearts before the Lord, listen to that still small voice. What are you doing here? Perhaps in this stillness, the Lord is planting a word or two words in your mind or a picture or a scene in which you see yourself or a scene in which you see Zacchaeus or a place in which you see the Lord placing you. I say, that's where I want you to be. Receive that picture. Own that picture. It's not for someone else, it's for you. Even though it may feel weird and you, it, may be, it may feel scary, but that is a picture, a word for you. Claim it for yourself. And as you receive that word, that picture, as you say, yes, Lord, that's me. I want you to begin to ask the Lord very humbly, direct me, Lord, what you want me to be doing here and now. Direct me, Lord. Send me, Lord. Use me, Lord. Let me pray for us.
Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have brought your church into such a time as this because you are going to do a great thing, something that has never been even conceived or imagined possible before. As you have raised the church in China, as you are redeeming the church in Cambodia, as you are doing so in Africa and different parts of the world, Lord, the time has come for America. And Lord, you are going to do something that will cause all our jaws to drop because no one can claim credit for it, but only you, the Savior of the nations, you who have come to seek and to save the lost. So we ask, Lord, direct us that we may be used by you powerfully under the direction of your Holy Spirit to bring and to seek and to save this lost world back to yourself. For this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening. Our vision at Church of the Resurrection is to equip everyone for transformation. As part of that vision, we love to share dynamic teaching, original music, and stories of transformation. For more of what you heard today, check out the rest of our podcast. To learn more about our ministry, visit churchres.org.